Get out your worship folder, that yellow insert, have it handy, but at the moment, look at page 7, that what we call the Nicene Creed. That's a, an ancient creed that many churches still say today, and we have it as our custom too. It was written around the 300s, and the council that met, that finalized the creed as a statement of faith for the Christian faith, was meeting in a city called Nicaea, so it's called the Nicene Creed. Look at the third line from the bottom. Read that line with me out loud, that third line. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I can't help but think that in some of your hearts, you wonder every now and then, but because we're in church, the wonder doesn't last very long. What's this thing about one baptism? Like, who of us is thinking about having two or three? Right? So why do we feel like we need to say, I acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins? Remember, it's an ancient creed. It was written in history at a time when the statements in the creed were to clarify for everyone who came, faithful worshipers, what the truth was about the tenets of the faith. And there was a heresy of a lie that was going around by church people. They actually have a name because they followed a guy that, that had the name Don in it, no relationship to me. They called them the Donatists, and my seminary friends loved to tease me, and they would call me the Donatists since I was from the South and had a Southern accent and all that kind of stuff. So the Donatists that, that said that if a pastor baptized you, and later gave up the faith because there was persecution. Many of them were scared to be killed for the faith and they denied Christ and then they'd come back to the faith. If that was the pastor that baptized you, the Donatist said you had to get rebaptized. They also said if your pastor that baptized you ended up falling away from the faith because of adultery or something else, you had to get rebaptized. Their teaching made people doubt if they were really forgiven, saved, clothed with Christ through baptism because their pastor that they had baptized them fell away. And the early church talked about this and they said it's God's promise and word of God in baptism that he adopts a person, gives them the Holy Spirit, forgives them of their sins, gives them salvation. It's not dependent upon the pastor that did it. So we want to put that in the creed. I acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins because a bunch of the Donatists were rebaptizing everybody. See? So that's what that's about. Now, since then, in Europe, there were, there were people called Anabaptists. There was no such thing as a Baptist church back then in Europe in 1500s. And they said if you were baptized as a baby, it didn't count because you have to make a decision. And they said they were sweeping through Europe and they said, you got to get rebaptized. So it actually, the phrase in the creed had new significance, although it was written older, for Christians in the, in the Catholic and Protestant faith that were holding true to the ancient teachings of baptism. When then during the Anabaptist movement, they'd say, I acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. See, and I've, I've been asked by Christians myself as a Lutheran, have you ever got rebaptized? Because they're not quite sure since I was baptized as a baby. Some of you may have been asked too. And you may think that when you say the creed. 
Now, I just wanted to explain all of that to you because that's an extraneous but important detail about the creed. But I want to tell you something new about the phrase that for you and me, I want to be important. Our one baptism, doesn't matter when you got baptized in your life, has no real teeth in it for you unless Jesus had gotten baptized. If our Lord Jesus had not gone down to the water, even though he didn't need forgiveness, you heard me tell the children that, even though he was completely righteous, if he had not gone down to John and gotten baptized, our baptism would be meaningless. So when I say, I acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and when you say it, I want you to be thinking, my baptism is connected to Christ's ministry, which includes his baptism. I am baptized into the Christ who was baptized as part of his ministry for all people. And I want to teach you about all that, that happened there in that story as much as I can get out of you before you get just too tired of listening to one guy speak for a while. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 3 because, as I said at the beginning of church, it's got the most in it about the baptism itself. And we're going to look at what happened. Let's read, or I'll read to you verse 13 and 14. Then Jesus came from Galilee, which is up in the north part of our Holy Land, to the Jordan, which is over to the east, right? Connects the Dead Sea of Galilee to, to the Dead Sea. He came from Galilee over to the Jordan, okay, to be baptized by John. Now, the, the, the paragraph before this talks about John doing the baptisms and preaching. So, he, so Jesus came to be baptized by John. But John, the paragraph before says John was telling the Pharisees, you better be coming for the right reasons. <laughs> you better be confessing your sins. But then Jesus comes, and John's trying to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Okay. See, see John, John was the great preacher, but he was a sinner himself. It's the hardest part. No, there's other hard parts. It's a hard part about preaching, knowing that when I stand up here and preach, I also know that I'm, I have broken and probably will still break the same commandments I teach you to keep. It's so hard. That was John. He was hoping maybe that Jesus would baptize him someday. He's given all this grace to everybody else, but who baptizes John, right? I need to be baptized by you. You are, what is John saying about Jesus? You are perfect. You are holy. You are without sin. That's what John is saying as a prophet. Okay, so, so this is what Jesus said, verse 15. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Words have meanings, and they don't always have the same meanings to everybody, and that's why preaching and teaching is about explaining words in their context. And truth is given in words. And truth be known, you can actually get the wrong message if you have the wrong thinking and meaning about a word. So let's talk about what did Jesus mean when he said, let us, it's permitted right now so that we would fulfill all righteousness. You and I use the word righteous and righteousness for moral strength, for being good, right? We might say, now don't sound so righteous. 
right? Or you are being self-righteous when you say or act that way. We might say, that is a righteous man. Or if we hear a Bible verse that says Abraham or Simeon in the temple was a righteous man, we think that guy behaved. He had integrity and he was humble and he did and she did good things and, and did better things than most people. Is that right? Is that what you think? Actually, the word righteous, when God's speaking, and it starts back in Isaiah, probably before that, but in Isaiah, it, when it talks about God's righteousness, he says about calling forth Cyrus, who hadn't been born yet, calling forth Jesus in Isaiah 42 that I'll show you in a minute. He says, I called you forth in righteousness. And then as he goes on to describe it, he says, it, it fulfills my plan as the righteous God to bring, thing, bring my Savior to the world and make things right. We, have, we use the word right this way. And this is the way it's meant in Jesus' words. We say, you know, everything right now seems to be right in the world. Yeah? You, ever, you ever say that about something going on just for a brief moment? Or she felt like everything was right in the world. We might be saying that until we say, and then this happened, right? The God was sending Jesus at just the right time, according to heaven, to do the right thing for all of humanity. And although the world was filled with sinners, John was baptizing them, and chaos and evil and still is today, Jesus was doing the big right thing that made everyone, including every perpetrator and every victim alike, have an opportunity to be made right with God. It is the only solution to the entire human predicament of sin and death and judgment. God had a righteous plan, and he called Jesus forth in righteousness. And here, to, to, to strengthen what I'm telling you, I want to show you Isaiah, because Jesus and John were both Isaiah men. Do you know what I mean? You may have a favorite book of the Bible. I don't know if you do. But John and Jesus were both so clearly showcased and meditated on Scripture that they could speak subliminally about Isaiah and get each other's point. Uh, again, I am going to digress, but in Matthew 11, John's doubting his faith in Jesus, and he sends disciples to come talk to Jesus, and Jesus says, send him back, and he doesn't say the verse, but he says, tell him, and then he starts quoting from Isaiah 29. They ask John, who are you? That's in the passage right before this, and he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. He didn't make that up. He got that from Isaiah 40. John and Jesus were Isaiah men. Now, in Isaiah 41, God says, I called forth Cyrus in righteousness. Isaiah 40 is about John the Baptist. Isaiah 41 is about Cyrus. Isaiah 42 is about Jesus. You getting my drift? Now, watch what happens. Isaiah 42, verse 1, is the first of four beautiful songs about Jesus in the Old Testament called Songs of the Servant. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. 
This is what God, the Lord, says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all the springs from it, and who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, you read this with me. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles. I'll stop there. Do you see what happened? In the Old Testament, you're used to, you know, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. He'll be born in Bethlehem. This is one you don't know very well. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 42, God said, I'm gonna, there's going to be a day where I say, this is my servant, and I'm going to put my spirit on him. Does that sound like the baptism? And then he says, I've called you forth in what? Righteousness to be a light for the Gentiles to bring what to the earth? Justice to the earth. What was that justice Jesus brought? The salvation. The justice of God came and down on Jesus on the cross. And the love of God came there too. And he brought justice for the perpetrator and the victim, all sinners on the earth. He brought justice. Otherwise, if he hadn't brought it through his own life and death, we would all be damned. So he brought it. And John says to, Jesus says to John, Today is the beginning of my public ministry. I didn't come here to get baptized for forgiveness. You were right in saying I don't need to be baptized. But I came here to begin my public ministry. It's important for us to experience, look in John, right in the eye, it's important for you and me to experience the fulfillment of Isaiah 42. Today this, the Lord, the Father, is going to put the Spirit on me. It's going to come down. Today the Father's going to speak from heaven. This is my servant in whom I delight. Today I am fulfilling his righteous plan. And I, John, I know what it costs me. John, I've had a great life of 30 years, but now it's going to be three years of purgatory followed by hell before I get us all to heaven. And I am starting today by stepping forward and I'm saying, bring it on. And the first thing that the Spirit who came down on his baptism in fulfillment of Isaiah 42 did to Jesus was say, let me take you by the hand, take you by the hands in Isaiah 42. And he, where did he lead him? Out into the desert. With a terrible, terrible battle against the devil. With all of his body not strengthening him. Grouchy and empty, wanting to eat tempting him to step out of the Father's will, promising the world if he'd bow down just once, telling him to take God and test him by jumping off the temple at the end of 40 days when his mind is not very clear. You see? It's important for us, John, to do this. This is the first step in the ministry to fulfill all righteousness. Now, we're in church, so you're going, I got to listen, but I have a lot of questions Guess what? Come to Bible class today. I'll get, let you have an opportunity to ask them because that's where we'll do it. That's where we'll have the forum. So he fulfilled the righteous plan of the Father. As soon as Jesus was baptized and he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove lighting on him and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It was God saying, This guy's perfect. But it wasn't just that. 
He was saying, this is the son who will step out and ride into the, to the fight with the devil to save the world. With him I am well pleased. Those words would be good for Jesus when he's in the desert, right? God's pleased with me. God's pleased with me because I'm willingly suffering for his name. He's pleased with me. He did it. He fulfilled the righteous plan of the Father. That's what he meant. So he did it also for the Holy Spirit. And I want to just highlight now in Isaiah 42 what he says. So you see it side by side. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Let's all read the Matthew passage out loud. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. The dove, the Spirit of God, comes down on him just like Isaiah had promised, and he is now bringing justice to the earth. And the first thing in dragging him out to the desert was, I'm going to demonstrate Jesus and I, the Spirit, are now two oxen yoked together for the ministry of Jesus. And the Spirit says, we, Jesus, I'm leading you out there. We are going to demonstrate that you are holy. There will, you or others might say, down through history, oh, well, you had it easy. You're the son of the Father. That's why, you, you know, like they said of Job, you, the devil said that about Job. You have it easy. You made it easy for him. That's why he's so righteous. And God said, no, Job will believe in me. He'll have righteousness by faith if you take everything away. Spirit says to Jesus, everything's going to be taken away, and you're not going to sin. That's the plan. That's the game plan. It's it. The game plan is we go out there, we go through the worst experience in life, and you don't sin, demonstrating that you are the Holy One of God. You ready? Ready. He fulfilled righteousness by playing the playbook with the Holy Spirit that the two of them had been given for him to save the planet. And that's where he went. And this is the day he was anointed when the Holy Spirit came down on him. What does anointed mean? It means to be set aside. What's the name we have in Jesus' name for anointed? Christ. The word Christ is not his last name. His last name was Bar-Joseph. The word Christ is anointed one. Jesus was the long-promised anointed one. So Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit to begin his ministry as prophet, priest, and king, saving the planet. He fulfilled all righteousness for the Holy Spirit. But most importantly, Father, God so loved the world as the Father that he gave up his one and only Son. I'm pleased with him. He's stepping forward just like I want him to, to die. He gave up his Son that we, we who? That we. See, we have this thing where we come to church and we say, I hope the preacher says something to make me feel better about what I've been going through lately. That was a great sermon because you helped me. This is, if you stay Christ-centered, this will be the gift that takes care of all your woes because all of your woes are wrapped up in the sin and the guilt that you have. All of your fears, all of your vulnerabilities, all of the inner, internal psychological struggles. This is the Christ. This is the Savior of the world. And if he did not live out salvation for us, we'd all be sunk and observing his life and understanding it and meditating on it like we are right now brings a strength that's much bigger than just getting this or that for little needs that you think are so big. So just watch. The Christ 
And the Holy Spirit did all of this for you. So you could be freed from your sins and your self-centeredness and become God and Christ-centered, being all about Him. Do you remember once, it's in the, the book of John, that, uh, that, that Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin. Do you remember that? You and I live in a culture that thinks what I'm saying right here is all a bunch of babble of preachers that try to make people feel guilty. It's simply not true. The truth is, until we're willing to let ourselves feel guilty about the true things that are wrong about us, that have been wrong, we can't begin to understand how to get it fixed. Have you ever been with someone who's got a really bad health problem, but they won't admit it to themselves or go to the doctor? They've got to admit it first. They've got to realize they really need help, right? Okay. So we have to come to grips with the fact that we are so fallen. Everyone in this room is naughty. We're all naughty. And if you think other people in, in terms of God's holiness are more naughty than you, that's naughty. <laughs> and it just doesn't matter about everybody else between you and God. And you know that in the quiet part of your heart, late at night, wake up in the middle of the night, right before you go to bed, right when you get up, before you get distracted by life, you know that feeling. You do at times despise yourself because you know you're naughty. And you know if God pays me back for any sin, I'm in trouble. But we do try to try to keep ourselves from that awareness because it hurts so much and it's so uncomfortable and it seems like it leads nowhere good if we think that way. But the truth is it only leads nowhere good if you don't have Jesus. It's actually the honesty that gets you to him if you have Jesus. And so he came. And so he sends preachers. And that's what John the Baptist was all about. I'm about to show you. This is a passage I'm about to read to you that's not from Matthew. It's not from Isaiah. It's not from a gospel that has the baptism in it. This is the cool thing about John. He wrote later. The baptism was already recorded in Matthew, Luke, and Mark. So John, John the apostle, tells about John the Baptist talking about Jesus after the baptism. So this is after the baptism of Jesus, but it's talk, John the Baptist talking about him. All right? So look at it. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and this is what he said. Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man comes after me and he has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him as the Messiah. But the reason I came baptizing with water, he's now enlightened. Remember Jesus said, permitted to be so now, so that we would fulfill righteousness. The reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed for Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven on him. Remember Isaiah? They, are, they both are Isaiah men. 
I saw the Spirit of God come down from heaven on him as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize, that's the Father speaking into his heart and mind that he was a prophet, the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Why would John be so preachy? He cared about the people. He didn't care about John. He cared about the people. His mission in life was to make sure the world knew their, their Christ had come who was the right thing for planet Earth that seemed so wrong. The right thing for your life that seemed so wrong. He wanted the world to know this is the one. He's here. And that was his job. The righteous one is here. I saw it. I was told. I didn't know it in myself, but God told me, just watch for this. And it happened. And I'm declaring it. Your sins are forgiven because of this one. The baptism was the beginning of the saving ministry of Christ that way. I want to use one little illustration, and then we're done, just about done. Um, it was six years ago in the winter, uh, December time frame, actually seven, and uh, I wanted to give back to our community. My boys had already grown up past Little League sports, so there was little signs all over Round Rock, neighborhood sports. Have you seen those? Flag football, basketball. I knew the, my kids had been in it, so I knew the season for basketball was only six weeks long. I want to give back. So I said, I'm going to coach, on top of my busy schedule, I'm going to coach a little fifth and sixth grade basketball team. Call the guy up. Yep, we need a coach for the fifth and sixth grade. We got these 10 little kids that haven't been on, a, you know, haven't, don't have a coach. You'll have one practice a week, one game on Saturday. That lasts for six weeks. This is awesome. In and out, but I get to give back. First practice, I bring Blake along. He's a high school basketball player, right? I know little about basketball, a lot about people. Blake knows a lot about basketball. They're all under five foot tall. Some have never bounced a basketball, and nobody can jump. They're awkward. And Blake, after that practice, we rode home. He goes, Dad, this is going to be a slaughter all year long. I mean, all season long. I said, I know. We're going to have fun. We're just going to try to make them a little bit better and help them have fun. Don't worry about it. Next practice, the lady running the program comes up to me, and she goes, there was a mom who came forward. She's got two boys. They're twins. And she says, they need a father figure. And since you're a pastor type, I think they ought to go on your team. And I said, oh, really? She go, and I said, you know, I've already got so many. And I said, do you know anything about their basketball ability? <laughs> and they said, well, she said, you're going to like them. She said, their names are Deshaun and Keyshawn. I thought, oh, they can, I bet they can jump. One's 5'7", the other's 5'9". Oh, I'll take them. When can I meet them? We won every game except the championship, and we lost it by one point. But it was a good season. Why? Because I'm so great? Nope. Why? Because Blake coached him up? Nope. Why? Because everybody learned to dribble that well in five, six weeks? Nope. Because of Deshaun and Keyshawn. The other kids played hard, and they did well. But you know what I mean. How are you going to live your life in peace because of Jesus, our Deshaun and Keyshawn? 
How are you going to make it when God starts saying, let's keep a record of everybody's sins? It's because of Jesus. You're Deshaun and Keshaw. He took it away, right? He's the guy on your team. You are saved. You are on his team. And how do you know you're on his team? As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You put him on. In your baptism, you put Christ on. Isn't that the almost awesome thing? He faithfully went to that, that day down to John the Baptist to start the hardest thing anybody ever did, and that's save the planet. But he did it. And when you got baptized, you got baptized into the Christ. And this is the way, this is the way that you be honest about yourself without trying to about your sins and your weaknesses without trying to like use self-esteem and arrogance to get out of it you just say i've got christ i'm forgiven that bad part about me is washed away it's true but it's gone and it's going to be gone tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day it's going to be gone the day you stand before god isn't that awesome yeah a bunch of lutherans you just say amen